Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible open to the first letter of John, keep in mind we're still in the book of Acts, but we're looking at 1 John this morning to help us understand fellowship. Not too far from where we lived in uh, Honolulu, there was a, a rainforest, uh, literally three quarters of a mile from the house. Uh, we could drive back to, uh, to the parking lot and hike a trail that would lead to the Manoa Waterfall. It's a beautiful trail, but there I saw some of the largest trees I've ever seen in my life. Um, constant source of water, they just keep growing. Um, only other place in my life I've ever seen trees larger than this uh, were uh, around Mount Rainier National Park in the Seattle-Tacoma area. Um, someday I hope to get out to California to visit uh, and see those redwood trees. You know which ones I'm talking about, the trees. I can remember as a boy looking through National Geographic and seeing cars drive through trees. That was such a weird thing being from South Texas where uh, you've got mesquite and just a few other things, uh, but certainly not big enough to drive a car through. These trees are so massive and they grow together in groves because the root systems are intertwined underneath the ground. No intertwining, no growth. No connectedness, no growth. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Luke gives us the summary that the church was continually devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And it is the fellowship that I want to focus on this morning. It speaks to the connectedness of this first gathering of the church. Pray with me if you would. Almighty God, Prince of Peace, Father of the fellowship, to the one who is able to take the sinful and stained lives of humanity and weave a beautiful tapestry of grace and mercy and love joined together in Christ, let us this morning, Father, grow in grace and knowledge. And I pray that your work of bringing us together will continue uninhibited by your people. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, provide for us. And what we are not, make us for your glory and our good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word for fellowship in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, is a word known as koinonia. It simply means common or what is in common or that we share something or hold something in common. It is the church that shares Christ in common and in partnership together. I've got my Bible open to 1 John chapter 1. If you would stand with me as I read from God's word starting with verse 1 and I'll read through verse 4. What was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it 
and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Thank you. You may be seated. What we see in John's letter to the church is that true fellowship begins with the Father and Jesus Christ. We share in this together. John wrote, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, John also wrote the church concerning the word of life, that is, of course, the gospel, that which the apostles had declared to the church about eternal life. We find that in the book of Acts at Pentecost, where we've already covered. This is where the beginning of being in Christ occurs. It is the gospel, the fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, sealed and nourished by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, declared to us and revealed in Jesus Christ. And John says, what we have observed, what we have touched, what we have seen, all the things concerning the word of life, concerning Jesus Christ, we have proclaimed these to you. And so fellowship, true fellowship, that which the church is devoted to in Acts chapter two, begins with the gospel. And if you go back into Acts chapter two, you see in verse 38 through 41, that we are reminded that the church heard the gospel. They heard what the disciples had proclaimed to them. They heard that and they, they said, what must we do? What is our response? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And so they did just that. The early church, as they trusted in Christ, they repented of their sin, trusted in Jesus for salvation. And there they experienced the grace and mercy of God. Now, there is no better place to read about this life-changing moment than Ephesians chapter two. That text may be familiar to you, but I pray that it will be unfamiliar to you for just a moment, so perhaps you'll learn something new this morning. But if you have your Bible open, turn to Ephesians chapter two. Listen, that this is the gospel that, that changes everything. The, the gospel changes the spirit of God drawing men and women together on that day as the apostles proclaimed the gospel, that they repented of their sin. This is what takes place. When that happens, Paul wrote to the, the church in Ephesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of this great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Friend, without Christ, there is no community in the church. But without Christ, you are still in a community. It's just that the community outside of Christ is a dead community. It isn't the community that makes us different. It isn't the fellowship that makes us different. If it were being just a part of a community, then just attending church would be enough to save you. But we know from Scripture that that is not enough. It's not just being a part of a community. That's not what koinonia is. 
What makes the church unique? What makes the fellowship, the community of the church so unique is the fellowship that we share, that which is in common, and that is the fact that in verse 4, Paul wrote, but God, it is that God moment when he intervened and made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our sin and our trespasses. It is the grace of God that we hold in common that makes the fellowship of the church so unique. We are, or we were, in the same boat. Let me give you a couple of boats to think about. Let's call them ships. The first one, we'll call it the Titanic. The unsinkable ship, right? Ben, my son Ben is so excited because they're supposedly building a second Titanic, and I'm not getting on it. No. But there were a great deal of, if you remember your history, there were a great deal of people who were so prideful in the great accomplishment, and they call it the unsinkable ship. Just the same, there are people who are so stuck in their ways and in their pride who think because they're associated with this group or that denomination or no denomination or because they're basically good. They're going to stick to their own goodness and their own minds. That's their ship. And that their ship is not going to sink in this life. In fact, their ship, their goodness, all that they are, their little kingdoms that they have worked on will get them into the next life. Then there's a second ship. The second ship, we'll call it the ark. The ark was designed for one purpose, to save some, sparing them from God's wrath. That ship is built and captained by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, on this ship, it is God who initiates the invitation to join and come to this ship. The invitation is extended to all. And if you'll trust in this invite which means you're trusting in the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, then you'll receive salvation that the captain has already paid for. The question is, have you responded to that invitation? On one ship, yes, you can set sail. You can have a grand old time. Eventually, the ship's gonna sink. That's one community. The other ship is alive, thriving, pushing toward the finish line. That ship will not sink because it is captained by Jesus Christ. Friend, God can make you alive with Christ. It is not your doing. It's not my doing. It's not the church's doing. It is God's doing. God is the one who makes us alive with Christ. If you'll think of that ark in Noah's day, think of what was on the ark. Think of the animal kingdom that filled the ark. There were lions And there was the prey, (laughs) zebras, impalas, wildebeest, whatever they would eat. How in the world did that all happen? How how did they get along? How did they survive? Well, he bit different pins, and sure, yes, but still, still, there were some holy disruptions in the animal kingdom on that ark. When we come to Christ... One of the evidences that we are changed by God's grace is that there come some holy disruptions in our life. 
When we think of this first church, we, we think of the Jews and the Gentiles, two groups of people that don't get along. And yet we find that they're devoted to the fellowship. They're devoted to one another because their life has been changed by Christ. Is it something that they're just somehow overcoming their differences in their own strength and own power? Or is there a supernatural unity at work in their life? Yes, there is something supernatural to this. Something that God is changing in their heart. Something that that Christ is at work making them more like himself. It doesn't matter when it comes to the church what your name is, who you are, who your mama and daddy are, how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter whether you're an Aggie or an old T-SIP or you're left off the SEC ship in some other school. I don't know. It doesn't matter if you like the Yankees or the Red Sox or you hate the Astros and love the Rangers. It doesn't matter if you vote Democrat or Republican. It doesn't really matter. Those are all superficial communities. But what binds us in the church is the supernatural work of God in Christ Jesus. That's what binds us together. That's how we can have different people from different backgrounds coming together as one in the church. Look at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul then writes, So remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, And he goes on to point out their differences. The Gentile was uncircumcised, whereas the Jew was. A physical, uh, something on the outside that was supposed to resemble something on the inside. He says in verse 12, at that time you were without Christ, you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the grace of God. He has changed your life and he has brought you into the family, into the fellowship. You are way far away in your sin. In fact, you were on the ship that was going down and sinking And yet now, because of Christ, he has brought you up and you are saved by his grace. Verse 16, Paul writes, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. The Jews and the Gentiles did not like each other. They did not like each other. They did not get along like water and oil. Just didn't mix. But you got these two people groups. And yet, what was God doing in this? He was bringing two together, putting to death hostility. That's how the church makes it. That's how our fellowship is supposed to function. That when we have disagreements, that disagreement is put to death by the grace of God. Why? Because Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes, This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church. Do you see that? God brings us together because he's got a mission for the church that we are supposed to work together to accomplish this mission for his purposes and his glory. It's such a unique and supernatural endeavor that only God could make this work. Only God could bring people from different backgrounds and make it work the way he makes it work. And now Jesus prayed for this in John chapter 17. He said, so that the world would know that God sent Jesus So that the world would know that you sent me. He's praying to to his father. That God loves you. This is the message. This is why we come together. This is the mission. So that the, the message of God is proclaimed to the world. So that God would know he sent Jesus 
because he loves them. Because he loves them so much that if, if they would believe in Jesus Christ, they would not perish but have everlasting life. They wouldn't go down with the Titanic, but rather they'd be saved on the ark. Everlasting, eternal life. And we may think that at times, especially as a kid, I can remember thinking, all right, church fellowship, punch and cookies. Now, somebody a while ago in the earlier service said, Pastor, what's, what's fellowship got to do with punching cookies? Like punching cookies. Like, Come on, man. Yo. Punch and cookies. Like God's got bigger plans than Baptist casseroles and punch and cookies. This is a vertical relationship with God that starts in our heart. And as we are right vertically with God, we are made alive with Christ Jesus. Now we are able to obey and live in harmony with one another. Think about it this way. This morning you have have enjoyed, more importantly, worshipped with a blend of music. Somewhere in all that music there was the melody line. The melody line, that's the main line. That's what we're all singing if we don't really know music and can't, don't have the ability to harmonize. The melody, the melody is Jesus Christ. The harmony, I like to think of as the fellowship of the church. They work together. One emphasizes the greater, which is Christ. You see, we, we have a problem We have a problem in that sometimes we think church or following Christ is what we bring to the table. It's not about that. It's about the grace of God at work through us. It's the reason Christ is that we are on an equal and level playing field. That's why there's no difference. Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. Paul writes about that. But as we come that we are in Christ, we find the grace of God that in that grace that our sin that is putrid and vile and offensive before a holy and just God is forgiven. We find that my problem is not that I lack meaning in my life. My problem is not that I'm somehow unfulfilled in my life or my vocation, but my biggest problem is sin, and by the grace of God, I find that my sin is forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what unites us together. It is the miracle of the grace of God made alive in Christ Jesus, who knew no sin. He became sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Friend, that kind of forgiveness is profound. It is that kind of forgiveness when we grasp that big forgiveness, it enables us as a church to live with a big love for the family, the church. Jesus set that truth for us in Luke chapter 7. Luke captures a moment in the ministry of Jesus where he is invited to have a meal with the Pharisee. I believe his name is Simon. And as he enters the Pharisee's house, he reclines at the table. In verse 37, Luke captures this. He says, a woman in the town who was a sinner, watch out now, 
found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. A sinner is touching our Jesus. The Pharisee is thinking to himself, because I love God, I am forgiven. Friend, if you have some kind of thought in your mind, because I do this, I am saved. Because I love God, because I give to the church, because I attend church, I am saved. I am forgiven. You're wrong. The opposite is exactly true. And Jesus sets him straight. He says, Simon, a creditor has two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, which is a huge sum of money, and the other 50, still large, but not nearly what 500 denarii is. Verse 42, he says, since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon responded, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly. Turning to the woman, Jesus says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, has stopped, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You see, we love because he first loved us. That's what God's forgiveness causes in us. That's what the grace of God does for us and to us. It causes us to love big and to love with the response that proclaims this grace of God to the world. We love because he first loved us. And we share in this relationship with God through Jesus Christ in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as God has made us alive with Christ so now we are able to live in that grace with one another because we are in Christ. I am connected to the community of the church by being in Christ. Let me share with you one more powerful example found in Scripture. It's a little bitty book known by the name of Philemon. If you turn to Philemon, you may zoom past it if you go too fast, uh, turning pages quickly. But Philemon is tucked real nice in between Titus and Hebrew, Hebrews. It's only 25 uh, verses long. So there, if you've never read a book of the scripture, you can read 25 verses and you can check that one off your list. Hey, I read a book of the Bible. There you go. That one is free today. You don't have to give for that little uh, bit of truth. But in this letter of Philemon, it is short in stature, but it is a titan of truth. Paul calls on Philemon a man of means. First, he's a man of God, but he is a man of means. He owns a house. He owns slaves. He has a standing in the community. He even has a church group that meets in his home. And yet Paul calls on Philemon to welcome back 
What is perhaps one of Philemon's greatest embarrassments? To welcome back his slave that ran away, his slave that is named Onesimus. Onesimus' name means useful, but Onesimus was anything but useful. He was useless, and he ran away. And while he ran to Rome, somehow, we don't know exactly how, but somehow he crossed paths with Paul while Paul was in chains and imprisoned in Rome. Paul shared the gospel with, with Onesimus, and his life is changed forever. So Paul sending Onesimus back to Philemon, a changed man. Paul didn't really want to send Onesimus back. Why? Because Onesimus had been changed. He became useful. He became a blessing to Paul. But Paul sends him back anyway. And so Paul, in sending back Onesimus to Philemon, a changed man, Onesimus is now in Christ. That's what changed in Onesimus' life. In verse 15 and 16, Paul says, welcome him back, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. You understand that didn't happen back then. You didn't welcome a piece of property like a slave as a brother of anybody. He was property. And yet Paul calls on him because this brother is in Christ to welcome him as a dearly loved brother. In fact, he says, welcome him as you would welcome me. Verse 17, Paul says, if you consider me a partner, guess where that word's partner, guess what that root word is? Same, same as koinonia. If you consider us in fellowship, if you, if you consider us partners in the gospel, welcome him as you would welcome me. What a difficult situation it would have been for Philemon. His reputation was on the line. It's hard for us to understand that because we're not slave owners. Praise God, we're not. But if you put yourself on the level of a parent and you have experienced that of a prodigal that has run from the faith, you get it. If you can put yourself in the place of a coworker or an employee-employer relationship or, or even a, 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 a marriage, we understand how hard it is to welcome someone who has hurt you back. One of the most amazing things about this story is that Philemon could have had Onesimus put to death. That's how, that's how, how much weight this decision of Philemon carries. Welcome him back as a brother in Christ. Welcome him back if we are in fellowship together as a family member. Friends, that is reconciliation. You've been forgiven much, you're gonna love much. That's obvious in Philemon's life. It's obvious in Paul's life. It's obvious for Onesimus, and it must be obvious for the church. It is absolutely impossible without the grace of God in our life. Then we also see that this kind of fellowship leads us to mutually share the life of Christ with one another and those outside of the church. In the book of Acts, Verse 42, uh, excuse me, verse 44 and following, Luke writes, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, 
Notice again that Luke says, they were together and held all things in common. The commonality, of course, is Christ Jesus. These folks were not all the same. They were different. They were from different locations. You'll remember at the day of Pentecost, they heard the apostles preaching in their own language, different languages, but they all understood what was being said as the Spirit enabled the apostles by his grace to speak their languages. Notice that they also sold their possessions and the, the property and distributed the proceeds to, to any as, as the needs were, were presented. We can just put to death real quick if you see any kind of level of communism or socialism at play. That's not what is happening here. This giving and selling and giving is not coerced. It's not forced. It is given because they have been given so much. This fellowship is experienced when we give. Fellowship costs. It's just like discipleship. It costs something. It may cost money. It may cost time, but it costs. It certainly costs in giving your life and opening yourself up to the church. It pains me when I hear people have been hurt by the church because when we give out of our new life in Christ, we should experience genuine biblical fellowship these Christians that enjoyed this close fellowship with one another, they were led to share with what they had with one another. Here's a need. Great, let's go sell some property and give to it. My family has benefited from you. We have benefited by the love offering that helped us get here, that helped us outfit our home. Hopefully it's gonna be full very soon. But they were led to share with what they had. This word that is used here, that they were together and held all things in common and selling their possessions. All of the, the, this word has a very close relationship with koinonia. This word is known as generous. Generosity is a part of God's nature. Salvation is a part of God's extravagant generosity. But you'll notice that as they sell their possessions and property, they give as needed. God loves a cheerful giver. No doubt you have experienced this in your life. He doesn't, he doesn't love the, the giver that's forced or coerced. He loves a cheerful giver, a giver that laughs hysterically as they give. Because listen, you can't outgive God. You know that to be true, those of you that have tried. You can't outgive God. And they, they broke bread from house to house. They're, they're meeting together, fellowshipping and eating, certainly. But there's this other thing, that they're still gathering together in the temple. Some see this early church and somehow pull out that they only ever met in house churches. Well, if you read verse 46, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. That's not a house church. That is the temple. They were in a centralized location. Yes, they met in house to house, but they were still centralized. On some level, this meeting is important, but this is not the extent of biblical fellowship. We have grow groups. Those are important. They're there for you. That's where we find fellowship with one another. Fellowship calls us to obey the one another's in Scripture. You know them. Love one another, be devoted to one another, live in harmony, greet one another, serve one another, be patient with one another, submit to one another, 
Teach and admonish one another. Encourage one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Do not slander one another. How are we doing on those? Because what we find is that we are called to live in obedience as we live in Christ. And part of that is that we live in fellowship with one another. You can be a part of a community, a community that even does good things. You can be a a part of a community uh, like, um, oh, let's just say the Red Cross does great things, good things. But what makes the church unique and different from every other community that exists outside these walls is the tie that binds, and that is being in Christ. Friend, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That binding brings us together in a, very, in a closing passage found in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. It's after that little book known as Philemon. Hebrews chapter 10. This is a great text. So important to draw us to a close this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, this is what binds us together. Listen, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope Without wavering, since he who promised is faithful, let us watch out for one another and uh, to provoke love and good works, not neglecting together together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day approaches, or as you see the day approaching. Friend, we are called to live in obedience. We have boldness to enter into the sanctuary, the dwelling of God, because of the blood of Christ. We have been cleansed from our sin. And because we have those things in common, or that one thing in common, we are exhorted, encouraged to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Listen, we are not lone rangers in the faith. We have to have one another and have this community. So because we are in Christ, we maintain fellowship By doing these things, one, drawing near to God faithfully. You draw near to God. You have to do that on your own, but it has a profound effect on the community of the church. Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, you're in the Word, you're studying, you're reading, you're praying through it, meditating on it, digging deep into the Word. You're drawing near to God. And then when you come in this place, it has a profound impact on our corporate worship. We're only as strong as our weakest link. We must each draw near to God through the blood of Christ. Because we have been cleansed, we draw near to him faithfully. And corporately, we hold fast, we maintain our confession. That's the gospel. And even though the world wants us to change our confession or water it down a little bit, we say, no, we cling to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He is the anchor that we'll hold. 
He is the anchor that will not give way when the waves of the world come against us. We hold fast to our confession together. How do we maintain that confession? By drawing near to God. When we draw near to God, we are reminded of his grace that saved us and changed us. And we hold fast to that confession. For without one another, we cannot provoke each other to love and good works, which is how we live this out. We come together, we provoke one another, or another translation says we stir one another to love and good works. That's all those one another's I just walked through quickly. And then, finally, we don't neglect the gathering, but rather we encourage one another in the gathering. Sunday is important. This corporate gathering is vital to your health as a follower of Christ. It's not the only thing But don't you dare neglect it. Don't neglect it. You can attend online on Facebook or you can come in person. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints. It's vital. I'll close with this illustration. Yesterday, I stepped on an anthill. Thank you. I felt every sting. I didn't know it was there. I was weed-eating around an old tree stump, and those little suckers were hidden down under there somewhere. I'm still going to go digging, finding them. But think about the anthill with me for a moment. A bunch of little insignificant creatures getting together. What a community. And if you ever have stepped on one, which no doubt you have, you'll know that their fellowship will make an impact on you. (laughs) One little tiny sting... It'll get you. You'll know it's there. But if you mess with the whole family, they're going to gather on your foot and serve notice that you are where you are not supposed to be. Can I get an amen? Amen. One ant makes a very small impact. A whole gathering of ants lets you know. Friend, if someone over... Someone can overpower one person, two can resist him, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. This is the fellowship of the church, and the fellowship of the church is a powerful tool and weapon against darkness and sin, because the surrendered church's fellowship proclaims the gospel to the world, that God can take all kinds of different people, different sizes, different shapes, different ethnicities, different languages, and bring them and make us brothers and sisters in Christ. Blessed be the tie that binds. Let's pray together.